You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Well, good morning. It's fantastic to be with you, as always. Sun shining. Uh, yeah. We're going to get cracking this morning. We're going to read the Bible together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, but let me just explain where we're going with it. I don't know whether you remember, I hope you remember some of it, that in October last year, we set out our vision and our priority for the year ahead. And what we said at that point was this. We said, God, please, would you, out of everything you're doing, please, would you make us a church ablaze, a church on fire by the power of God. And and really what that was about was saying, God, please, would you, by your Holy Spirit, do something in us, like each one of us individually as people. And then please, would you do something through us? us individually to the world around us. We're just so desperate that God would move in us in a way that would shake us to the degree that we would reach all of our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues and everyone around us. And um, uh, that's why we've had the various Holy Spirit conferences because we just wanted to create a space for as many people as possible to have a deep and profound and significant encounter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and uh, that's why we've done all of these midday prayer moments where, where midday, every weekday, we're just saying, God, please would you fill me here with your spirit? Please would you use me in this place? Please, please would you save these people? And I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, over the last six months or so, masses of people in our church have had really significant encounters with God. And also we've just, or we're just finishing the busiest alpha course I think we've ever had. Like just recently uh, they had the alpha weekend and, and like nearly a hundred people searching for God, encountering God, meeting God for the first time. It's just a remarkable thing. These two things are linked. We experience God's presence and his power, and then we reach our friends and our world for Jesus, and we're just so desperate for that to happen. And I think as part of all of that, what we can say is that God is challenging us as a church to blow our cover. Like, this is the time to go public with our faith. This is the time to refuse the pressure of the world to keep our faith kind of hidden away and secret and personal, this is the time to say, I'm going to be public with my faith. And as part of all of that, that's why this morning we're going to be speaking about baptism. Because probably never in a Christian's life is there a greater opportunity to share our faith with our world than when we're baptised. It's the ultimate blow your cover moment. And, and we've had a whole bunch of baptisms across all of our sites. And uh, we want to create many, many more opportunities in the coming months for people to be baptised. And so uh, if you haven't been baptised and you'd like to, then hopefully this will explain a little bit about what baptism is. And so in order to kind of study baptism, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, which is the ultimate moment of in, probably in the whole Bible of people being filled with the Spirit and then sharing their faith because they've been in the upper room, 120 of them, and they're filled with the Spirit.
Spirit, for the, this is the very first time the church has been filled with the Spirit, and then immediately they find themselves on the street, sharing their faith with thousands of people who are gathered around and about. And we're just going to jump in halfway through the Apostle Peter's uh, kind of speech that he makes to the crowd. Uh, and we're going to jump in, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Peter says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, was, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a fruitful day in the life of the church. Peter said, repent and be baptised, every one of you. And that's what we're looking at today. There's a lot of confusion, isn't there, about what baptism is and what baptism isn't. I always remember David Beckham, when he was being interviewed about the birth of his son, Brooklyn. Uh, I won't do the voice, but he, he's, he was asked, like, well, well what, uh, what are you going to do to kind of celebrate the birth? He said, we're definitely going to get Brooklyn christened. We're just not sure into which religion yet. In the 5th century, there was an uh, Irish king who approached St. Patrick and said, I'd like to be baptised. And so Patrick takes him to the uh, shore of uh, the sea and they wade into the water together. And, and Patrick's got this like long wooden crook with a, spear, a kind of a spike on the bottom. So as they get into the water, Patrick just puts the crook into the, into the sand and, and it stays there. And then he baptises the king and then... Uh, when they're coming out of the water later on, it's quite strange because this king, he's like bleeding from his foot. And he says, what on earth happened? He said, oh, when you put the spear in, you speared my foot. He's like, why didn't you say something? And, and the king says, oh, I just put, thought it was part of the ceremony. And we don't spear anyone when we baptise them. But let's just look at what the Bible says about baptism and let's take it step by step. So first of all, what was baptism in the Bible? Do you know, actually, archaeologists have discovered that most ancient cultures around the world had some form of ceremonial or ritual washing. So, you, you know, you could go anywhere on the face of the earth and you'd find uh, bridegrooms washing the night before their wedding in a ceremonial way or brides washing uh, in a ceremonial way or people washing their hands before they eat or before they perform certain religious practices and so on. But, but this, the the New Testament sacrament of baptism seems to find its origins in the, the Old Testament law. 
So throughout the Old Testament law, if you've ever started in the book of Genesis and thought, I'm going to read through the whole Bible, and you find your way to about Leviticus, and it starts to get a bit dense at that point. And what you see is that in all kinds of different situations, the Old Testament law says, I want you to wash in this ceremonial way. So for example, when they just finish building the tabernacle, and uh, Aaron and his sons were being set in as the very first priests. They were instructed to wash in front of the tabernacle, in front of the entire nation of Israel, which must have been slightly awkward. That's in Exodus 29. In Leviticus 14, for example, people who think that they've been healed of some kind of skin disease, they have to uh, wash their clothes, they have to shave off all of their hair, and then they have to wash their bodies in a ceremonial way to cleanse themselves and there are loads and loads of other moments like that and it seems like throughout the Old Testament and then on past the end of the Old Testament the Jewish religion um, kind of developed all these different ways of making sure that people were properly clean and and, uh, and so actually archaeologists have discovered that there are these kind of purpose-built ritual baths cut into rock specifically designed for people to be washed according to the Old Testament law. But the very first time that anyone's ever mentioned as being baptized or baptizing people in the whole Bible is not until the New Testament. And in the New Testament, John the Baptist, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it says, So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So here's John the Baptist saying, get yourselves right with God. You know, you've got to get your heart right. You've got to make a fresh start. You've got to be clean. And, and people were coming to him to hear that message. And as part of that, they're, they're getting into the water and they're, they're asking him to baptize them because they want to be clean for God and they want to be cleaned by God. And it seems like that's really the, the major theme of New Testament baptism. It's about God, I want you to clean me on the inside. It's an external symbol of something that we're asking God to do on the very core of who we are. It's important to notice too that baptism throughout the Bible always happens in lots of water. There's never a moment where people are kind of just sprinkled with water. It's always a full body experience. And so in John chapter 3, for example, it says that John the Baptist chose a particular stretch of water, a particular stretch of the river, because he could see that there was lots of water. There was plenty of water there. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, it said that he came up out of the water. You know, it's very difficult to come out of a puddle. He's coming out of a lot of water. When Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch by the side of the road in Acts chapter 8, it says they both went down into the water and came up out of the water. And so uh, it seems like throughout the New Testament, that's the kind of amount of water you need. It's a full body immersion. It's a full body experience. The Greek word, our New Testament is written originally in Greek. The Greek word translated as baptize is hilariously the Greek word baptizo. And it, it's a really common Greek word. And it just means to kind of immerse in water. So when a, a ship sinks, it's baptized in the water. If you were to have a 
uh, a piece of cloth and you wanted to change its colour, you would baptise the cloth into a bucket of dye and when you brought it out it would be a different colour. So it's the kind of word that, that they use when we would use like the words soak or immerse or dunk or saturate or those kinds of words. So John the Baptist waded into the water to baptise the people who were coming towards him. And uh, in John 3, we see Jesus and his disciples baptising people in the same river. And then in Matthew 28, we see Jesus commanding his disciples to carry on with exactly the same practice. So it's a full body experience in the Bible. So that's what the in baptism in the Bible means. Secondly, like what does baptism symbolise? What does baptism mean? Well, first of all, baptism speaks of a bath. When I was at school, like... I went through most of the sports that the school did because I was basically rubbish at all of them, but I quite enjoyed rugby up until the point where people start to get really violent and, and I mean, you've no idea what goes on on the inside of that scrum, like it wasn't nice. And so, uh, but I enjoyed it to begin with because it basically involved just throwing yourself on the ground and just rolling in the mud and I just thought that would be a really, really cool thing to do. And uh, I felt sorry for my mum because we had to wear white, all white, so we had white rugby shirts, white shorts, white socks and then every week they'd come back just completely brown. And it was all brilliant except for one thing and that was the communal showers. It was horrendous. Uh, you know, no teenage boy wants to find themselves in a communal shower at any point. And so we all developed, like on week two, we developed a really clever way of getting around that. We'd all go into the shower with all of our clothes on and then we would just reach out to the water pouring down and we would just take some of the water and wipe and clean our faces and our hair and our neck and then we'd put our school uniform back on over the top. And so basically the experience of, of going home after that was that you had mud inside your school uniform all over your knees and then you could feel it drying up and then it was cracking and it was just an amazing sensation. And then eventually you'd get home, you'd get in the bath and the, basically the goal was of being in the bath to try and turn the, the water so brown that it looked like chocolate milk. That was basically living the dream. But even as a young person, I knew that I could clean the entire outside of my body to within an inch of its life, but I could do nothing to clean the inside of who I was. And I knew that that was really where I needed to be cleansed. And in baptism, what we're doing is we're saying to God, God, there is a darkness and a, and a kind of dirt on the inside of who I am that, that only you can clean. Uh, and so we're, 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 it's, a, it's an external symbol of something that we're asking God to do at the core of who we are. That's why uh, uh, Ananias says to Saul of Tarsus, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So baptism speaks of a bath. Secondly, baptism is also a burial didn't take very long for the New Testament church to realize, oh, hang on, this looks a little bit like when we're baptizing someone, it looks a little bit like we're laying them down into a grave and then we're bringing them back out of the grave. And they realized, of course, that that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus had been laid in the grave and he'd been raised from the dead. And so they, were, they really quickly realized, hey, in baptism, we are 
um, enacting the burial of our old lives with Jesus. And we're being raised to life with Jesus to start again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, You were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So baptism is the way that we draw a line under our old life and we, we, we bury it. And then we start a new life with Jesus. I don't know whether you remember the story of John and Anne Darwin. It was recently publicised in a, a, um, a TV drama. But he was a, a what do you call it, like a, a prison warden. His wife was a doctor's receptionist. But they had this sideline, this side hustle with a... Uh, a and b or like a set of bed sits, and it was just a total disaster. They were losing money hand over fist. They had no idea what to do. Their debts were just growing and growing and growing. And so they did what any one of us would do in that situation. Well, probably not. They, they decided to fake his death. And so they pushed him out on a canoe one night uh, into the water, into the sea, just off Hartlepool. And then later on, the uh, canoe was discovered. Uh, with no one in it and so and he was reported missing eventually the coroner declared him dead and actually he was living in South America for a while and then he uh, after five years he was like oh I really miss my kids in my home and so he just stumbled into a London police station and said oh I think I might have lost my memory or something like that it was just a really bizarre and actually just tragic story but in one sense each one of us could relate to that desire to just start again like, I've just made a mess of my life. I've come to a point in my life where I've realized that there's a debt accumulating that I can never pay, the debt of sin that's in my life. And I just want to start again. And, and, and the way that we start again is so beautiful. Jesus says you can start again. You just need to put to death your old life. And so that's what we do when we come to faith. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Or Colossians 2.20, you died with Christ. We put to death our old life. We start again. And then in baptism, we bury the body of the old life. And so people often ask, well, I'm a Christian, but do I have to be baptized? And the answer is, well, no, you don't have to be baptized, but... You haven't completed the process. The process of, of death is death and then burial and then resurrection. And if, you you know, if your old life has been put to death in Christ, but you haven't yet buried the body, then you haven't finished the process. The appropriate thing to do with a dead body whenever you find one is to bury it. So baptism speaks of a bath. It speaks of a burial. And finally, it speaks of a badge of belonging. It's the mark of membership of the people of God. In the Old Testament, the mark of membership for the people of God was a bit more uncomfortable, especially for the men. It was circumcision. And so that was how you declared, I'm, you know, whether you were born into the Jewish nation or whether you later on were added to the Jewish nation, whatever point you were added, you were like, I'm now a member of this people and I'm going to have a really uncomfortable operation performed on a very private part of my body. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to do that anymore. Uh, as, as pastors, we're especially glad that we don't have to do that anymore. But so in the Old Testament, the mark of membership was circumcision. In the New Testament, the mark of membership of the people of God is baptism. 
It's the visible and public sign that we belong. I've, I've loved every stage of our kids growing up. I, I loved it when you could just take your baby and put it somewhere, and then when you came back, it was exactly where you, you left it, you know. And, and, and then I loved the moment when they started to move around and crawl, and, and then I loved it when they, they could kind of toddle, but only if you were holding their hand. That was a great time. And then there was a time when they could walk by themselves, but most of the time they didn't want to walk by themselves because they wanted to hold mummy and daddy's hand so that they could swing and just lift their feet completely off the ground. But there comes a point in every child's life where instead of wanting to hold your hand, they want to do the very opposite. They don't want to be seen dead with you in public. And so, you know, I can remember many times when we'd be walking through a shopping centre and our kids would be like three or four metres behind, just uh, like eyes down, fixed on the floor. I definitely don't want to be identified with those people. They're so embarrassing. It's like I, I, I don't know these people. I don't want to be identified with them. Well, in baptism, we're saying these people, they might be quirky, they might be unusual, they might be gathered from all walks of life, but that's my people. It's my spiritual family. I belong to these people and they belong to me. This is my tribe. Colossians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. So baptism is a badge of belonging to the church it's also a badge of belonging to God. It's the way we symbolize that, that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to God. You know, if you think about it, when Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize people, he said, I want you to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we still do that today. Why did he do that? Because he, he was saying baptism is a way that, that people um, uh, declare, I'm, I don't belong to myself anymore. I now belong to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and so in baptism, I'm saying, I'm yours, God. I'm yours. Okay, finally, why, why would I get baptized? Why would anyone get baptized? Well, first of all, I'd get baptized because it's totally normal for Christians to do. Throughout the New Testament, whenever people came to faith in Jesus, whenever they started following Jesus, they uh, uh, were immediately baptized. Usually a really short time after they'd come to faith in Jesus. Just like in our passage that we read earlier on, 3,000 people come to faith on that day and 3,000 people are baptized because that's just what you did. Lydia is selling her purple cloth down by the river in Philippi. She meets the Apostle Paul, she comes to faith, and she's baptized. The Philippian jailer who was holding Paul and his friends in prison, he comes to faith, so does the rest of his family, and they're immediately all baptized. Crispus, the synagogue leader, is baptized as soon as he comes to faith. Even Simon the sorcerer is baptized although I don't know whether he kept his surname any longer after that. But you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone in the whole of the New Testament who, having decided to follow Jesus, isn't immediately baptised. I've only found one person so far, and that person is the, the thief who's crucified on the cross next to Jesus. And he had a pretty good excuse for why he wasn't able to be baptised. But everyone else is just like, this is what we do. It's part of our conversion experience. It's part of coming to faith in God. 
the other uh, reason we know it's totally normal is, is because all of the writers of the New Testament letters, when they're writing to a group of people in a church in, in some location, they're, they're always writing to them, assuming that they've all been baptized. So, for example, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, you were all baptized into Christ. He just knows, well, you're all Christians, so you must have all been baptized. So maybe it's totally normal because, secondly, Jesus commanded it. Think about the great commandment, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus commanded them to do, and that's what they started to do. And that's what people have done. That's what, that's what we continue to do to this day. For 2,000 years, we've been obedient to the command of Jesus. And so to be baptized is to walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, to choose to not be baptized is to choose to not walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus. We have another word for not walking in obedience. We call that disobedience. No one wants to be disobedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're doing it because Jesus commanded us to do it. And thirdly, we're doing it because it's a powerful witness. I was walking past the church offices recently and, and uh, Dave Hall, our youth pastor, was coming the, the other way, just down the, the, the pavement there. And uh, as we passed each other, I was like, oh, I'm just going to say hi to Dave. But I'm the sort of person, I can just about do two things at the same time, but I can't really do three. And so I could just about walk and talk at the same time, but I wanted to walk and talk and wave at the same time. And that was just way too many things. And I completely forgot that I was also holding a whole load of things in my hands at the time. And so as I waved at Dave, I waved at him with my hand and all of my possessions, all of my papers, my laptop, everything went flying into the air. I then tripped over the paper slab and I just went absolutely flying. Now what do you do in a moment like that when you just tripped and, and gone flying through the air? You do what any self-respecting person does, you style it out. And so basically I just, oh yeah, I'm just starting to run now. I'm just starting to skip a little bit because I'm really happy to see you, Dave, because I'm definitely not tripping or throwing my possessions in the air. Why do we do stuff like that? Why are we so desperate to make it look like we're doing everything on purpose? The reason is because we, we're desperate to retain our dignity and our self-respect at all costs. Why would anyone in their right mind, get into a pool or get into a bath or get into, a, uh, into the, the sea or a river um, with all of our clothes on and then ask someone to duck us under the water, which when I was a kid at school was usually considered bullying, uh, in the full knowledge that white clothing or light clothing goes see-through underwater and floaty things float in the water. Why would anyone do that? Such a weird thing to choose to do. The reason we would do it is because we want to communicate to the people we know and love that Jesus is more important to us than our own personal dignity. And that's a powerful witness. People are like, this must mean something to you if you would do something like that. And the reason I know it's such a powerful witness is because my own twin brother, who's now an Anglican vicar, came to faith on the weekend of my baptism. I've been desperately trying to explain to him for ages, like, 
oh, Jesus is real and he's changing my life and, and I couldn't quite get the message across. So, you know, oh, I see you're washing up. Well, do you know that Jesus can wash away your sins and stuff like that? It was just terrible. It just didn't work. And then he saw me baptized and he was like, this is the real deal. And he became a Christian on that very weekend. It's a powerful witness. Okay, let me just finish by, by just answering a few frequently asked questions. You know, some people say, well, listen, I was christened or baptized as an infant or a child. Does that count? And the truth is that I've got a bunch of very dear friends who grew up in Christian homes. They were part of perhaps Anglican churches or, or Presbyterian churches where that's what happened. And so they, they were baptized as a child and then later on they were confirmed as a teenager or something like that. And they're like, that is my baptism. I can't get baptized again because that was my baptism. In contrast, for me personally, like I was baptized and confirmed as a child but it meant nothing to me. I didn't know Jesus at that point. And so when I came to faith, age 15, I was like, that cannot count as my baptism because it meant nothing to me. I'm going to choose to be baptized. And so I was baptized in a, a Baptist church near where, I, near where I lived. And so, like, how are we going to navigate that? Well, the way that we navigate that, that in our church is to say, well, leave it to your own conscience. You know, if you're, if you're the kind of person you were baptized as a child and confirmed as a teenager, perhaps, and you're saying, in all integrity and conscience, I have to say that that was my baptism, then we, we're not going to tell you otherwise. But we would be honest and say that we believe that baptism in the New Testament is a full-body experience that takes place when people have decided to follow God for themselves. And so that's how we're going to do it. And we would encourage you to pray and to talk it through with people who know you and love you and come to your own decision. Uh, another question is, is it too late? You know, some people say, well, I became a Christian like 20 years ago. It feels really late to be baptized now. And we would say it's never too late. You know, usually we bury a body after we're just immediately after we're absolutely certain that it's dead and we know why it's died. But sometimes people, uh, you know, on the battlefield of war or whatever, they they um, they don't the the body just lays in in open ground for years sometimes. But whenever you come across a body like that, it's still the appropriate thing to do to bury it. And so we would say, no matter how long it's been since you've been following Jesus. If you haven't yet buried your old, old life in baptism, it would be our privilege to do it like tomorrow or next week or whenever. And, and lastly, like some people put off baptism because they're just terrified about public speaking or sharing their story. And we would say, whatever you do, that's a terrible reason to not be baptized. You know, making any decision on the basis of fear is a bad decision. And so we would say, listen, we're going to make it as easy as possible for you. Some of you will just be part of our online community and we'll have to figure out a way of you sharing your story and of being baptized. But we would love to do that. Please get in contact with Libby, our online pastor. Some of you are part of one of our in-person services uh, and, and, you know, like we can make it easy. We can film it in advance if need be, but mostly we'll, you know, we could interview you. We could uh, help you write your notes down in a way that you can read out or whatever it is. But why would 
you waste the opportunity of a lifetime to share what Jesus means to you, to your entire world, to invite your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues to come and hear what Jesus means to you. And so we would love to baptise anyone who knows and loves Jesus and hasn't previously been baptised and is part of our church. And so if you are uh, in that category, then we would love to hear from you. Speak to your site pastor uh, or your connect group leader and they'll help you to figure out how that's going to happen. That's it. Okay, let me pray. And Lord God, I pray for everyone watching this right now. I pray, Jesus, that by your spirit, you would be meeting with each one of them. There may be people here who don't know Jesus for themselves. Jesus is offering you a completely fresh start. A completely fresh start. A cleansing from the inside out. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet those people where they are and begin to show them the way. For other people who have been following Jesus but haven't yet been baptised, Holy Spirit, would you guide their journey, help them to know what to do next, give them the courage to reach out. And for all of us, whether we've been following Jesus for 10 minutes or 100 years, we thank you, Jesus, for making a way for giving us a fresh start. We're so grateful. And we lean into that today. We lean into the cleansing work of Jesus. We receive the forgiveness of God over our lives. We're so grateful for your mercy and your grace, which is new every day. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.